Okay, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the story of, of Samson when I'm preaching over the next uh, four or so Sundays at different times. Uh, so there are, there are two, two things running in, in parallel, really. Steve and I were um, really seeking, Lord, what is it that we should be preaching about? And I had this feeling I wanted to be spe- speaking on Samson, but really I didn't feel there was enough there probably to sustain uh, a whole series for everybody. Uh, and Steve was, was also praying about it. And so what Steve did, Steve felt it'd be good to get back into a New Testament book. So Steve and uh, some of the other team of preachers, Andrew and Gary and one or two other Steve, are going to be looking at Philippians. So if, you, if you're looking for things to be really looking into when you're in your own quiet times, and when you get to study the Bible, look into Philippians, but also please have a look into Judges. And really, the whole of Judges, is, it's an interesting, it's a, a good book to read, actually. It's got some wonderful stories in it, but also particularly chapters 13 to 16, which is the story of, of Samson. And one of the things that Steve and I were talking about was, you know, what is it that we really feel God is saying to us that the church needs? And, and I, I said this a while ago, but I'll repeat it in case you weren't here. You know, in, in my mind, there are, there are kind of four things that, that we should be doing as elders, Steve and I as elders in this church and, the, and those who are preaching. We want to lead the church. When we, when, we, when we preach, when we teach, we want to be leading the church into a deeper relationship and love of God. Okay? That's a clear thing, isn't it? We want people to be knowing and loving the Lord in a deeper way. And what we do should be at least trying to achieve that helping people on that journey. Secondly, we want to help us as a church engage with the poor. Um, Jesus always had time for the poor and always had a lot to say. And the whole scripture talks about justice to the poor. And thirdly, to reach the lost. We want to be encouraging us as a church to be reaching the lost, and fourthly, to be loving one another. There's no particular order in that. Now, you know, that's probably oversimplifying it, I accept, and there are probably all sorts of things that we should be uh, teaching on, but I I kind of feel it kind of boils down at the end of the day pretty much to those four things, that we should be encouraging people, we should be encouraging ourselves to love one another, to be the body of Christ. We should be encouraging one another to reach the lost, to, to reach the poor, and to be in a deeper, deeper relationship of love with God. And I want us to look at Samson, because I I just feel that there is something in in his story for us in terms of carrying out the plans and purposes of God. Being as we are, or if you're anything like me, sometimes not particularly brilliant, not particularly together some of the time, sometimes messing it up. Anybody else feel that? Yeah? Okay. But if you look at Samson, that's precisely what he was like, and yet God used him. Okay. So what's your picture of Samson? Samson's often seen as a sort of classic Bible story. You know, he's perhaps a Sunday school story, although actually you wouldn't want the kids looking too, too deeply into the backstory of what's going on with, with Samson. 
But, you know, we love the idea of someone being filled with the Spirit of God and somehow becoming Superman and, you know, taking out a thousand people with uh, a donkey's jawbone as his only weapon. You know, that kind of, that grabs you, doesn't it? And even non-Christian people might know the story of Samson and Delilah. Or if they don't know the story, they've heard of the names at least, and, and people talk about Samson and Delilah. What's your, what's your picture of, of uh, Samson? What, I mean, you know, sometimes when you see Samson, he, always, he kind of looks pretty kind of Tarzan-like. Um, a bit dressed like Tarzan, um, a bit muscular, um, you know, fit looking, wouldn't want to mess with him. You know, is that, is that our picture of Tarzan? I prefer to think of him as the sort of Mr. Muscle from the oven cleaner advert. Um, have we got those? Um, yeah, there he is. Uh, and I couldn't find the cartoon version, but but you know he's kind of like a a wimpy sort of you know, not not particularly muscular, um, fairly wimpy sort of person. Um, you know, I I think well, except of course he'd have dreadlocks, which which the person there doesn't have, you know. Um, but maybe we do looking, you know. Otherwise. Why else would everyone keep asking him about the secret of his strength? What's the secret of your strength? If you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, no one's going to ask you about the secret of your strength, are they? It's pretty obvious why you're strong if you, if you look like Tarzan or Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I think he must have not looked particularly muscular and, and you know, strong. And it was as the Spirit of God came upon him that he became strong. But as you read and reread the story again as an adult Christian, you see there are many, many character flaws. You, you think, do I actually like this guy? Is God really happy to be using this guy as a judge over Israel? Now, some have suggested actually that this isn't a true story, but it's merely a kind of uh, a folk fable you know, a folklore fable designed to get people to boo at the enemy, the Philistines, and cheer at their superhero, Samson. You know, okay, so here we go. God raised up Samson to deliver the Israelites. <laughs> okay. But the Israelites tried to find the secret of his strength. And, but one day, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Yeah. Hey! But finally, the Philistines found the secret of his strength. And they took out his eyes. Uh, but nevertheless, his hair grew again, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he destroyed the temple and killed at least 3,000, maybe 10,000 Philistines. You know, now, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, some people say, well, that's all it is. It's just a, a great, you know, a great feel-good story for the Israelites. Um, and it didn't actually happen. It's what some commentators would like to have us believe. But, of course, Samson actually appears in the New Testament list in Hebrews, chapter 11, of what we call the heroes of faith. 
He's there in the list. For all of his faults and flaws and all of the things that are wrong with him, he still appears in that list of the heroes of faith. So I suspect that it is a true story. And what a story it is. Okay, if we just move on, I think it's in the book of Judges. Now, the Judges, for you know, there's a bit of background. It's obviously in the Old Testament. It's the period of the Judges. And that's a period of about 300 years, from 1300 BC to 1000 BC, roughly. So if you think of the story of the Old Testament, you know, we've had, we've had Moses taking the people out of um, Egypt. Um, he took them across the, 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 you know, out of Egypt. And then it was left to Joshua to take the people into the promised land. And, and the 12 tribes got the land divided up amongst them. Um, but they drove out some of the enemy, but they didn't drive out all of them, although they should have done. But in that way, they were a little bit disobedient. They didn't do what they were told to do. And they had this kind of coexistence with the enemy still amongst them. And so it's after Joshua, we get this period of time, about 300 years, where there are various judges that the Lord raises up to to govern and lead the people. Okay? And then at the end of the period, of course, we then get the period where there are kings. So um, so Samuel was the last of the judges, and Samuel was the one who anointed and appointed um, Saul to be king, and then after Saul, King David and King Solomon and various other kings that we we read of in, in the Old Testament. So it's in that period. It's between Joshua finishing and... Saul starting as king. It's in between that period. Um, And um, it's been suggested that Samuel was the writer of Judges. Now, I don't think the Bible makes that claim, um, but that's that's commonly sort of thought to be Samuel Samuel is the writer. And, of course, it talks about, in in the book of Judges, you often get the, the phrase, um, in those days, there was no king in Israel, which kind of it, it implies that they were in a time when there was a king, because it talks about in those days, there was no king. So, you know, that only kind of that, that sentence only makes sense, really, if it was written in a time when there was a king. Throughout the period of this, well, throughout the period of Judges, but almost throughout the period of the whole of the Old Testament, we get a cycle um, of of the nation abandoning the Lord, engaging in the sins of surrounding nations, being judged by the Lord through invasion or harsh occupation or, or in other ways, and then crying out to the Lord in repentance, and then deliverance from the enemy and restoration back into the Lord's presence for a brief while. And then the cycle begins again. Sin, judgment, repentance, deliverance. Sin, judgment, repentance, deliverance. We get that cycle throughout the, the whole of the Old Testament, really. We, we saw it even in our, in our talks from the Minor Prophets just recently. And during the period of the Judges, it's no different. The phrase, again, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord is seen repeatedly in the book of Judges. Okay? 
So as I say, often judges were raised up to bring about victories over the enemy and to lead God's people. So, you know, we can think about people, um, that, that there are judges. Um, many of them would be familiar names to us. Um, so those that brought about victory might be someone like Gideon. And we heard about Gideon 18 months ago or so. You know, um, Deborah, not all of the judges were male. Deborah led them in a great victory. Um, and um, okay. yeah. And so we come to Samson. And um, there's a prophetic calling upon Samson. It was during such a time when, when there was this, this ongoing battle with the Philistines um, that, that the Lord came, brought an angelic visitation and comes to a childless and barren wife of a man named Manoah. We're not told her name, <laughs> interestingly. We're only told his name. And I suppose that's to do with the social and liter literary conventions of the age. Um, we're only told his name, but an angel came to the wife of Manoah telling her that she was going to have a son and he would begin the deliverance of the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. Interestingly, Claire talking about someone who was barren having a child. Um, and this is precisely the case here. Someone who was barren and the Lord gives them a child. But the other thing did you notice was, although in the context of the society, if you like, women had a lesser role. The, the wife didn't get a mention in terms of her name. But who did the angel go to? Who did God send the angel to? He sent it to the wife. He didn't send it to the husband. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Even if the society uh, had that kind of um, slant to it, God is bigger than the society. He does his things. Anyway, let's read Judges chapter 13. I hope it's going to come. Hopefully that's big enough for you to read. Okay. Um, and I'll read from that as well. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain, name, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared and said to her, you are barren and childless. I think she knew that anyway. Um, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son, now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. 
Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I beg you to let the man of God you sent us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. I think if he'd listened to what the angel said, he might have known that. Anyway, anyway, we'll carry on. God heard Manoah, and the angel of, the, of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. Again, went to the, went to the wife. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me and, uh, the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when are your words, uh, so when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. That's the third time that we've been told that. She must do everything that I've commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was an angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell to, with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We're doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife, being far more sensible, answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manahedan, uh, Mahanedan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. Okay. I don't know what you make of Manoah and his wife. They certainly don't seem to be well-versed in religious understanding of the day. They didn't really seem to understand what it meant to be Nazarite. Um, I don't know. Do you, I, I wonder, you know, were they a bit slow? A little bit special? I don't know. Because the angel has to come back and tell them again, but he tells them nothing more than what he'd already told them. Um, He'd already told them everything they needed to know. Interestingly, I, I believe when that word, when, um, when they said, what is your name? Um, and he said, it, you know, the, and the angel said, it is uh, beyond understanding. And, and I, that kind of, it, it, another word for it is, is wonderful. It is wonderful. And I think it's the same word when um, Jacob was wrestling with God. And he asked God for his name. 
Uh, and it's, it's, it was the same. I mean, it is probable that, you know, that commentators will believe that this is actually just a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in, in that place. But it's very special. It's very special. Whoever it was, whether it was an angel or whether it was uh, a pre-incarnate Christ that appeared to Manoah and his wife, it was very special. You know, and angelic visitations, if you can just move on, I think. Oh, it's great. So that's, thank you. Miracle births and callings seem to happen in the Old Testament. You know, we, we have... Um, we have Abraham and Sarah giving birth to Isaac. We have Zechariah and Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. Uh, we have Hannah and Elkanah, uh, Elkanah giving birth to Samuel. Now, there wasn't an angelic visitation on that occasion, but she was barren and she prayed to the Lord's and Eli the priest saw her praying and prayed for her, and she suddenly became uh, pregnant, having waited for many, many years. As I say, it's interesting your story, Claire, about a, a barren lady giving birth. And of course, Mary and Joseph, I've put in brackets. Obviously, Joseph wasn't the father, but, you know, now you, you could clearly, um, Mary wasn't, wasn't barren, but she was a virgin. So in one sense, you know, you would say she shouldn't be having a child. It's a, it's a miracle of God that she did have a child. So in the same way, just as it was a miracle for all of these people who were barren, um, it was a miracle for, for Mary, obviously a, a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in this case, but producing the baby. But um, we see it time and again, this, this whole business of unlikely births, difficult births, births that shouldn't take place, but God somehow raises somebody up and puts a calling upon them. And um, if we just move on to the next slide, I think. Okay, I'll, come, I'll leave that up there, that's fine. Um, and, in, and a miracle son being set apart, a Nazarite. You know, that was true for Samuel. Um, Hannah said that no razor would touch Samuel's hair. It was true for John the Baptist, a Nazarite. They were set apart. They were people set apart. And as a sign of their being set apart, they were to allow their hair to grow. They weren't to cut their hair. They were to let their hair grow. And it was a sign of the fact that they were set apart for God. Okay? And we see it in Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist. And all of them were given to us in, in order, if you like, to begin the next phase in the plans and purposes of God. Isaac was to begin a great and mighty nation of God's people. Samson, we're told, he was called to begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. Samuel was the one who ushered in this new age of kings. He was the one who brought that, God used him to bring that into being. And of course, John the Baptist, we know, was sent to prepare a people to be ready for the coming of the Lord. 
In each case, they were kind of heralds of something that was about to happen or something new that was taking place. They were called. And it would seem that there is a recurrent theme, just as there was a recurrent theme of, you know, sin calling out to God repentance and deliverance. So there's a recurrent theme in Scripture, it seems, of God raising up men and women to work with him under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring rescue and blessing to the people of God and the people of the earth. Some have miraculous births, like Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist. Others, as I've said here, are unlikely deliverers. I always find it really encouraging when I find unlikely deliverers. People like you and me. People like you and me that mess things up, being used by God to bring about the purposes of God. And that was in the Old Testament. That was before the Spirit was poured out on all flesh, on all of us. So Gideon was an unlikely deliverer, wasn't he? He was sort of started out hiding from the Philistines and didn't, wasn't, wasn't a particularly brave person, but God used him. Jephthah, how you pronounce it? Jephthah. Um, Jephthah was, um, he was illegitimate. He was, the one, he was the son of a prostitute. And he was shunned by his people because he was illegitimate. But God used him to bring about the deliverance of Israel. Weren't there other people around that could have, God could have used that weren't illegitimate? I'm sure there were. But God chose Jephthah, who was illegitimate. I won't use the word that will be used in the Old Testament, in the authorized version. Um, you know, to bring about the deliverance of Israel. And there would be others. And Samson, of course. Um, when we look at Samson's story, those of us who know it, and you'll get the picture of it as I deliver it over the next few Sundays that I'm preaching, um, you will see that he doesn't come up smelling of roses, really. Um, but God uses him. Okay. Some of them mess things up on the way. You know, you think even Abraham trying to arrange his own way of developing his family line, you know, uh, sleeping with uh, his wife's servant. Um, or, you know, at one, at one stage trying to sort of say that his wife was actually his sister because he was scared of, of one of the kings, you know. Um, you think, that's not right, is it? He shouldn't be lying and saying, this is my sister, not my, not my wife. Um, David committing adultery with Bathsheba and arranging to have her husband bumped off so that he could marry her. It's not good, is it? You wouldn't say, you know, that's the sort of thing God tells us to do to bring about his purposes. And yet out of that, out of that marriage came Solomon. God uses unlikely deliverers. He uses you and me. He uses unlikely deliverers. God, and, and, and also Samson, of course, we're going to see 
he breaks many of his Nazarite vows. Um, you know, many, many of them. There are all sorts of things that Nazarites should have done to keep themselves set apart uh, to God. And I'm sure Samson must have broken all of them. Um, but God used him. And he's in the Hebrews 11 list. That have pleased God by their faith. And what it seems is that behavior doesn't seem to be the deciding factor. Behavior is good. We please God by our behavior. But, God, but behavior doesn't seem to be the deciding factor in God using us. Faith seems to be the deciding factor. Faith and, of course, the grace and mercy of God. That seems to be the deciding factor when you look at someone like Samson and others that God has used. God chooses whom he chooses to accomplish his purposes. And he, causes, he chooses the likes of you and me. He chooses you. He chooses me. I find that so encouraging. He uses you and me. You know, I know what goes on in my heart sometimes. You know what goes on in your heart you know the things that you do that mess up sometimes? I don't know what you're messing up this. I know what mine is. <laughs> but, but God uses us. And we are amongst those who have also been called and chosen. I'm not sure next, just check the next. Uh, okay, yeah, you can leave that up there. I'll come to that in a moment. We are amongst those that are called to bring rescue and blessing to the people of God and the people of the earth. Well, Weymouth and Portland in particular, because that's where God's placed us. So what does the Bible say? Well, it says this in, in Psalm 139, it says this, for you created me, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. That I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. I think it goes on to say before even one of them uh, took place or something like that. I think I've left the last verse off. It talks about the fact that your life, God knew, and your life was known to God even before you'd lived one day of it. That is the knowledge of God who exists outside of time and space. He knows your life from beginning to end before you've even lived a day of it. Your, your birth, your existence is no less miraculous than what we read in Samson or what we read about Isaac or what we read um, about Samuel. There is a calling upon you. There is something upon your birth that God has his hand upon and has known since before the foundation of the world. Okay, what else to say? Well, if we go on to it's Ephesians 2. Verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork. Okay, we're his handiwork. He made us. 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are created for a purpose, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's not, oh, you know, what am I going to do with that person? Oh, I'll find something for them to do. No, no. God had a purpose and a plan for you since before the foundation of the world, before you were born. He knew you. He had a plan and purpose for you to do certain good works that he has planned for you. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, it's his plan. He's got good things for you to do. He's got a use for you. You are useful to God. Okay, you've been created with a purpose. You know, Jude tells us elsewhere that we're to snatch people from the fire. Snatch people from the fire. We have a purpose. Comes back to what I was saying at the beginning. One of the things I want us to be doing is we want to be a people that are reaching the lost. We have a purpose. And one of those purposes is to be reaching the lost, snatching people from the flames. We're not delivering men from the hands of the Philistines. We're delivering men from the hands of the devil, from the grip of sin. Well, it's not us, I suppose. It's the Lord in us. It's the Lord working through us. Samson was called before his birth. Um, just move on, just in case I'm not sure what the next slide is. Yep. Thanks. I think that's the last one. So, Samson was called before his birth to be set apart for God and to deliver the people from the Philistines. You and I have in the same way been called before our birth to be set apart for God. And in Christ, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the works of God. Jesus said, these works shall you do and greater works shall you do. We're called to deliver men and women from Satan. And so this is what I want us to take away from this first chapter of the story of Samson. It simply is this. God calls and uses unlikely people to further his purposes. He calls all sorts of people. People you and I would say, they don't deserve to be used by God because we're judgmental like that. Fortunately, God isn't. God is gracious and merciful. He calls and uses unlikely people like you and me. He's called you and me. He's used you already and he will use you yet further. You have a calling to be used. Your calling was before the foundation of the world. It's not a sudden thing. It's not suddenly God thinking, oh, what am I going to do with this person? No, no. The Lord knows you. He's had a plan for you from the beginning of time, from before you were born, and he will use you. And it doesn't seem to be so much dependent necessarily on your behavior. Your behavior is great if, if it pleases God. But what, what God is looking for is faith and a realization. As we were singing, from my heart to heaven, Jesus, you're the center. It's all about you. It's all about you. 
It's that faith of knowing it's all about Jesus, as, as James was leading us in a song earlier. It's all about Jesus. And as we have that faith, God will use us. So let's keep ourselves set apart for him, ready to be used for his purposes and for his glory. You have a calling. Let's be set apart and ready to be used in that way.